What's up? Hi, good to see you. Good to see you too. Um, former professor of mine at William Patterson University. Uh, who are you and what do you do? Well, it's so good to see you, first of all, so thank you for having me. And uh, my name is Laura Brown, and I am an associate professor at William Patterson University, where I teach courses in public relations, strategic writing, professional communication, and corporate social responsibility. And I came to William Patterson actually from corporate. I ran Ogilvy's, um, Ogilvy Worldwide's marketing practice for many years. So I have, um, half my career I've been in business and in practice working on some of the biggest brands in the world, doing um, PR, crisis management, social media, et cetera. And then I switched that to uh, pay it forward and help train the next generation of uh, professionals. Yeah, and thank you so much for doing so. Otherwise, I don't know. I might not have a job right now. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, for real, I owe a lot of that to you, sincerely. Um, You've so done the work. <laughs> in you know, today's climate, I think PR is just like incredibly important. That's actually why I wanted to have you on, one of the reasons. Um, and I still don't think enough people outside of our microcosm understand what it means What's the difference between marketing and PR and how is PR used? Yeah. I mean, historically, I think public relations had a bad rap because we were known as the spin doctors, right? We were the ones who fixed other people's problems and were perhaps um, considered, you know, nefarious or liars. But really what public relations practitioners do, um, and increasingly we're doing more business strategy, communication strategy, but also business counsel of how organizations can be more responsible, be more socially conscious. You know, we're only as good as the, the foundation of what the organization we're working for is so a lot of our counsel is do the right thing um, and then we can communicate that through a variety of channels now marketing uh, you know with social media and digital and all of that really the lines have increasingly become more blurry and integrated and um, we like to say we are integrated marketing communication professionals now so you know whatever means possible in order to get you know the messages and the strategies and the education out um, we will do that so I think Nowadays, most firms and organizations are really doing a variety of PR, marketing, um, business strategy, all, all in one, quite frankly. Um, and, it, you know, it is true. A lot of PR professionals, I mean, we know them personally. Uh, we want to do the right things, um, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes there's, uh, you know, social pressure. There's corporate pressure to put out, you know, these uh, messages that are kind of self-righteous in a lot of, um, a lot of times. I remember you talking about, um, how, uh, I won't mention names of companies, but, you know, specifically <laughs> they would put a person of color into like group photos specifically so they could be seen. And then, you know, a lot of times yeah. there are spin doctors where, you know, they, you know, there's a, there's a small portion, just like anything, it's a Pareto distribution really, where they're not yeah. doing the right thing. And I, I really, I think one of the more important things is how can people identify, uh, the, the real versus the, the spin doctor? Yeah, I mean, it comes down to your personal integrity and your personal threshold, but quite frankly, again, it's, it's really... Uh-oh, I think I lost you. You have a job. You're frozen as well. Am I back? Yep, I see you now. You are back. Yes, we had a little tech issue. You froze on me a little bit, so sorry. I don't know if that's my Wi-Fi. I live on the side of a mountain. So I don't know. Don't Remote discussions here. Um, so back to the answer. What I was telling. Yeah, we're good. I think you're frozen again. No, can I can hear you. I'm switching okay. to my LTE. So, okay. There shouldn't be any problem. No. 
Great. So to your question, you know, the, the, it comes down to your personal ethics and your personal integrity. Yet, as I was saying um, before we had the tech issues, it does get challenging for young professionals who were perhaps in your first job um, when you're working for a company and you're so happy to have a job um, to not just follow marching orders and to push back, if you will. Um, and I remember it took me a while in my career to be brave enough to ask the questions, you know, what, what do you think the repercussions are if you are not authentic, right? If you are trying to push a diversity agenda, but you're not really hiring diverse employees, for example, or if you are saying, you know, um, as an organization, you have a certain set of standards and values, but then you're not living up to them. Most of the time, being brave enough to ask those tough questions and being able to say, you know, at the end of the day, you know, again, our communication messages may work once, but if they're not authentic or honest, then the backlash will be even more. And we've seen that with bans and boycotts. And now with social media, companies are being held more and more accountable. So we really, as professional communicators, have to have a high standard of how we operate and how we provide counsel. Because again, I like to say, you know, the good PR practitioners are strategists. We're not just tacticians who just do the bidding of others. We should be in the room where the CEOs providing counsel on how they should operate as a responsible ethical business. But again, like every industry, where there are so many good players and so many good um, people out there practicing their professions, but there are also a lot of people who lack integrity and just want the dollars. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen that, I think, you know, in this political climate, certainly. Um, you know, a few of those bad apples are ruining it for, you know, a whole entire profession in some cases, but then you're seeing all the advocacy PR work and all the, um, the change PR work and the educational PR work and PR, PR is everything okay to operate in a way i'm am i frozen i'm so sorry this is all happening remote recording that's all right it's okay i also live like at the base of the appalachian mountains so like it's it's like that yes. for me as well yeah, same. I'm literally on the side of a mountain here. Off, yeah, so <laughs> it's okay. Probably it happens. <laughs> but you, you know, you brought up the political climate of today. Um, you know, what are some ways you, you as a professional, identified? You know, how the the left and the right are using, you know, PR. You know, we saw this big uh, a lot in the 2016 campaign. You know, they're using public relations tactics to uh, influence people. Yeah, and you know, propaganda is still real. It's still alive and well. Um, you know, outright lying and over dramatizing, and you know, using generalities and stereotyping and showing graphic imagery and all of that is still sadly um, and increasingly prevalent in our political climate on both sides. Quite frankly, um, you hope that you know your general audience is going to be smart enough to read through that, but obviously, as we've seen. <laughs> Um, people aren't always believing in science. They're not believing in real news versus fake news. And what is fake news? You know, they call it a, it's a cognitive dissonance where people just seek out information that substantiates and supports their own belief systems. And sadly, more and more, there's just, you know, it's the pack mentality of let me just 
avoid the things that aren't comfortable for me and continue to seek out information that's going to perpetuate my very narrow belief system. So it makes it truly hard. Um, COVID's a great example, wearing masks. You know, I can't believe that that's become politicized. It's science. It's basic science and health, you know, yet people truly believe that it's um, because of propaganda that it's taking away a freedom, you know. It's uh, strange because, you know, people didn't want to wear seatbelts or people didn't want to wear condoms, yet until it affected them, where they got in a car accident or had an STD, you know, suddenly they were happy to do that. So I'm hoping that'll be the same with masks, where until someone's affected personally, behaviors and opinions often don't change, you know. So yeah. um, you can... <laughs> You can look at celebrities, you know, celebrities who take on causes or issues and do philanthropy. Generally, it's because someone they know or loved has been affected by something, you know, whether it's breast cancer or whether something like that. So similarly, you know, until someone is personally affected by an issue, um, it's really hard to change belief systems, as I'm right. sure you've seen. Right. You know, I, I think I'll, I, th I sound like such, I don't want to sound like a douche here, but like, I think it was Albert Einstein who said, um, you know, everyone thinks they're invincible until something happens to them. And it's just real true. Like, we have, we have to let go of this egoism, I think, that we all have. I, I talked to, do you know Professor Michael Thompson? He's in the mm. political mm. science department of yeah. William Patterson. I just had him on. And we were talking about, it's so weird that people are, like, against science now. Because science is true democracy. And, you know, uh, through propaganda, I think a lot of times we, we, we lose, you know, um, we, we, we lose democracy in a lot of ways. So I do kind of want to get into the history of, of propaganda. Yeah. Um, can, can you talk about uh, Edward Bernays and P.T. Barnum and, and what they did for the people who don't know? Sure. Um, those are some of our founding fathers of public relations and of, uh, and of spin, sadly. Um, I mean, P.T. Barnum was probably the first to create events for the sake of events and he created experience solely for the sake of publicity and entertainment um, so they were artificial things that he created we call them um, you know pseudo events if you will um, making news from nothing and he would you know do things that were overly sensational false claims not always honest um, but said the, pu the public loved to be you know fooled and tricked for entertainment value and sadly you know although it may have been innocent, he did exploit people back then, you know, people who had, um, you know, physical disabilities and so mm -hmm. on um, to entertain the public. However, he also, um, you know, taught, I think, organizations, corporations that the, that the public is easily fooled if they want to. So some of his illusions, if you will, they were just illusions, they weren't even real, but people loved to be fooled. And that certainly, it shows us now, we see that in the political environment, we'll believe anything, right? right? Um, so, you know, there's how much, you know, false stuff about, oh, you can't, you know, again, hey, you know, COVID is the timely thing right now. Oh, you can't catch it once you can catch it. Or if you drink alcohol and this and that and the other thing, there's all these, these myths surrounding it. So, um, so that was P.T. Barnum, The Greatest Showman, and the movie definitely did a glamorized, um, romantic view of him, but right. um, he, really, he really was sort of a hustler and a con artist, if you will. Um, but some of the foundation of things about figuring out ways to make news and grab people's attention are still used today, hopefully, again, with integrity. Um, Bernays was different because he actually, you know, believed in the power of the press, and believed in media and influencing the media and being friends with the media rather than adversaries. 
Um, so certainly as one of our founding fathers of our industry, he did more about like training, you know, training CEOs to be able to be spokespeople. Um, again, holding events, one of the, the big events, as, as you are aware, because you're a great student or we're a great student, was, you know, um, <laughs> sadly was for smoking and smoking was a male thing at the time. Right. Um, but he had um, debutantes and, and women of society smoke in the Easter parade. And, so, you know, um, soap was created contests where people would make sculptures out of their soap. Been in um but but that, that was sort of what our founding fathers did and it's evolved from there right <laughs> or and, I'm frozen. Uh, i don't know it's okay me? Me too. you know what it's fine i you know I, i've adopted a very like laissez-faire we're gonna get through it type thing so if technical issues happen Whatever. I'm just doing this to educate people and to have fun, really, and to That's talk great. to people and have discourse. So if shit goes sour, whatever. It's okay. Nothing nothing matters. It's all, it's all cool. Um, well, that it, is know, true PR. It's being versatile and being able to, you know, change it up when uh, something goes wrong, for sure. I remember on a field trip, I, uh, we were, I was talking to you um, before I took your class, and we were just talking uh, in New York City. I was just like, yeah, I think we all got into PR because we all have anxiety and we just want to control it or, and whatever. And you're like, yep, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm doing, that's... you know? We're controlling our anxiety. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, I love you know, it. We talked, I love about, it. we talked about the soap sculptures and, and the propagation of, of smoking cigarettes and things like that. One thing that Bernays did that really interested me more than anything, because it leaks into politics a lot, is... Um, the creation of the all-american breakfast mm -hmm. where uh he was hired by these i forget which company it was um but th the reason that we like eggs and sausage and toast and stuff in the morning is because of bernays and it, it really makes you see like how easy it is to you know change the perception of yeah. uh, of people in general so what do you think we what do, what do you surmise that we can do to control our own perceptions and not to think that things are bad by being propagated all the time, but to also just have our own opinions. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, information literacy is so critically important and being careful who we view as our influencers and view as, um, you know, because we do, we seek out ridiculous celebrities that know nothing about anything to, to you know, encourage us to have, accept, you know, drink a sports drink, for example, right, or, or a brand of alcohol or whatever it may be, or wear something. It is really hard as a consumer with all the noise that's out there um, to make your own decisions and to know you're making your own decisions where you're, versus being subtly influenced. So one of the things I always suggest to my friends, family, my children, um, you know, look at a lot of different sources for your information. Do a little bit of research. The Internet is at our fingertips. Technology issues withstanding. Uh, and you can, you can do more. Or research about you know where where is this story coming from or where you know why is this why is this person just paid interesting I didn't realize this into 
Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I am filling time because there are frozen again. Arsenical issues. So um, live am I freaking out? Regular yeah. chat. Um but yeah, we always spill time here because I don't know uh, if the connection got lost, but yes, yeah, I don't you know, know. it is important so to see, do the research, see where your information is coming from. Because uh, I, I talk about this in almost every podcast. There is such a small amount of um, really news companies that own a lot of news. And a lot of them are being funded by George Soros, the Mercers, the Rothschilds. And like, there is a, uh, there is a, um, how to explain this kind of like an evolutionary trail to where our information comes from. And it's, it's hard for everyone, every single person to know about this thing. And it's, it's really feeling like this, this awful dynamic we have in this country, but I don't want to demonize public relations. What are some good things that PR has done? Well, I think the advocacy work, and as I've evolved in my career more and more, I was working on trying to do things that were public education focused, public health focused, um, the beauty of the influence we also can do is, you know, I mean, from an environmental focus, PR has been a huge, you know, influence in companies having better business practices with human rights, with the environment, with, um, you know, better hiring practices, more diversity. So the power of a strong message and a campaign, you know, the lobbyists for these nonprofits that are doing the greater good The AIDS campaign, for example, the AIDS education campaign back, you know, years ago when that first came out and the wearing of condoms, that was PR. That was PR that was influencing educating people about public health and safety. So I think that's one. You know, the Black Lives a huge PR machine behind educating that it is about you. So firstly... I want to apologize to everyone listening because of the technical issues. It's okay. It's probably my fault. But um, what Professor Brown is talking about is that there's a huge PR machine behind a lot of these social issues that, um, that get, you know, really propagated. And that's why I said before that propaganda is not always a bad thing. You know, we, we have a lot of social change because of propaganda and lobbyists. People tend to think that lobbyism is always a bad thing, but Really, that's how you make change. Be a force for social change and for good. Hopefully, you heard more influence. Oh no! Well, we lost her. Hopefully, she comes back. But yeah, right. So, like a lot of the green movements that we do, a lot of movements for for Medicare, things like that, you get those from lobbyism. Now, there is a lot of bad lobbyism that happens, right? Like uh, when politicians talk about influence from outside sources that change policy really negatively I mean uh oh but um yeah so like you're back oh I don't know what's going on I changed my wi-fi setting to see if this is a better one I it might be me I don't know I'm so sorry and we can always redo this another day I can come back if you missed <laughs> half of my ramblings um hey, or you, we can connect via, via LTE whatever <laughs> it doesn't matter to me and we can always do this again I'll still put this out whatever like like, you know, I kept talking through it. Um, good. The connection seems to be better, though, so that's good. Yes, hopefully, yes. So, yeah, I, and again, I don't know where I fell off, but it was, I was talking about just the, the, the force for change in social advocacy and public education, that PR is a big force. You know, 
one of the campaigns that I worked on in my career was the Red Dress campaign, which was teaching that heart disease was one of the number one killers of women. And we were trying to make connections between women's health. Um, and we, you know, we created a whole fashion icon of this red dress that symbolized, you know, women being heart healthy. Um, and then, you know, that was all generated by PR and then sponsors came in from General Mills and Coca-Cola and, um, American Heart Association came in to help us spread the messages about, you know, heart disease and heart health and so on. So, you know, that's something that I'm very proud of, you know, for the American Red Cross, you know, we worked on blood donation campaigns with minority groups, such as African-American and Hispanics, because there are some different blood types and, and um, blood issues for those particular right. groups. And again, so, so those kind of things, you know, PR is so powerful in spreading positive messages um, to help, help, you know, the overall public, um, education. Right. And, and uh, while we, um, while, while the, the cutout was happening, I was talking about, uh, I was going solo and talking about lobbyism because there is a lot of negative views on lobbyists. And sure, that yeah. happens like, with, uh, I mean, you look at a campaign like Pete Buttigieg, he had billions of dollars behind him. So he could get, pro you know, we keep saying mm -hmm. this word propagate, propagate, but that's what yeah. it was um, to have his message go yeah. forward and whatever the lobbyists are. But um, I was having this discussion with someone in one of my classes and I was like, I don't think lobbying should be like, no, that's wrong. You need yeah. lobbyists because otherwise you can't get good things that go forward. You need people to, you know, uh, promote things like a green deal or, uh, yeah. or, um, you know, and it's like, uh, it was wearing seatbelts, the seatbelt law, something right. as simple as that. That was public, that was lobbying, you know, right. it was lobbying to get it to be a rule. You know, they had the car seats, same thing. That was public relations um, lobbying, you know, that was to change legislation that would protect, again, the, pu the, the public from themselves or their poor decisions, quite frankly. The warning labels on cigarettes, you know, which, you know, there's more to be done with that. But yeah, lobbying is absolutely a force for good as well. You just have to know who's paying the lobbyists, you know, it's pretty, usually you can tell where the influence is coming from. Um, and that's where you know, again, us being better researchers and finding out where the messages are coming from and who's footing the bill is critically important. So I have this idea I want to run it by you. I think that every single lobbyist meeting needs to be like public domain, like people need to be able to see it because we are funding politicians, so we should be able to see who's funding them. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a really optimistic view. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, transparency, while it makes a lot more sense, doesn't it, right? But there are also trade-offs, you know, mm. you know and, and with law and with politics, there are always compromises, sadly. If it was more transparent, 100% there would be better accountability. I don't think you're going to get politicians to agree to that. Um, or lobbyists, because sadly, you know, to get, you know, to get less pollution, they might be giving up something else, for example, you know, or new legislation. And so, right. yes, ultimately, that should be the goal. Ultimately, if the transcripts and all the meetings were all public and not behind closed door, I think that would hold all of our politicians and lobbyists much more accountable. Sure. Um, if you can pull that off, then you can hire me and I'll work for you because, you know, right now, not to be cynical. Um, but, you know, the, the ugliness of our, you know, political system right now, uh, that, that's probably a, a dream for the distant future. Right. Well, if I ever get as big as Joe Rogan, we'll do it. Um, there we go. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's a bit, yeah, it really is a bit of a pipe dream. I've heard a funny idea that they have to wear um, the logos of all the companies supporting them on their suits. 
Which would I be so it. funny. I would love it too. It'd be great to see like, well, and that's it. sorry. Yeah. If no, I was going to say, if we were smarter consumers, you can find every, you know, the stock ownership of all of these politicians. We should know, you know, are they a big oil person, which are, you know, we've had former presidents who were big oil people, for example. Um, you know, so yeah, we should know, you know, where, how and where these politicians have made their money because, you know, as we've seen, they're voting for their own interests versus for the greater good for the public. So, a hundred percent we have that information sadly most voters are just too lazy to take that extra step or they're in denial like we talked about earlier and they're only seeking out the information that you know supports their beliefs and they're willing to trade off anything else you know for their one agenda item they call that sort of the low information um, sources of most americans and it's literally i think an example i've always given in class is you know they want to identify with their politician and my sweet mother-in-law, who hopefully won't be listening to this, you know, she voted for certain people because she liked, you know, the Bushes, for example, because she loved Barbara Bush because she was just like her, a grandma. Right. That's why she voted for them, you know? Yeah. Other people voted for Clinton because he seemed like a good old boy that you'd have a hamburger with. So, yeah. you know, it's on both sides. It is. It's on both sides yeah. where I always have said, I want my president to be way smarter than me, way more, you know, way more capable than me. I don't right. want it to be someone who was going to, you know, I wanted them to be someone who could solve these world's problems, not come have a burger or a cocktail with me. So sadly, however, most, you know, many Americans, you know, based on your, their education level or, you know, their socioeconomic, you know, says whatever, look at, at very, very surface oriented um, attributes, the physical attributes, the looks, you know, the, the propaganda versus doing a little more research and saying, wait a minute, this politician yeah. never voted for anything I believe in, actually. You know, let's look at those voting records or let's look at the corporations that they own stock in and they're on the board of directors. Wait a minute, they don't actually align with my beliefs at all. If we did that, if we took a little bit more time and effort to do that, I think the whole, you know, system would, you know, implode, quite frankly. Right. No, that was that was incredible. Right. Uh, it, I, I brought this up uh, another episode, but we as Americans, like it happens everywhere, but like specifically, you know, talking about us, uh, have you heard the short story of like the, the wolf and the dog where the dog's really fat and it's on its chain and it's eating a lot and the wolf comes up to it and it's starving and the wolf is like, hey, uh, what are you doing? And the dog goes, oh, I'm just, you should, you should live here. I get to eat whatever I want, but I'm just chained up, but like I'm full. And the wolf goes, no, but you're not free. And like, that's really the internal debate we have. We let ourselves be these dogs and, and, and I mean it goes back yeah it's um it's 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 very sad we were losing our sense of literature in this country too um you know we like uh, my, we don't read we don't read right we read a tweet and that's right. our information do you yeah. think we've lost our sense of literature in this country and how can we get it back well, I think it goes well beyond that. I mean, I think, you know, our religious institutions, our political institutions, they've been propagating, you know, for years. Our history, let's be honest about history, you know. Even when we did read, you know, the reading was vetted by someone, right? I mean, there's a big debate right now in schools, you know, about, you know, having history be more authentic. You know, most book publishers are out of Texas, which is a conservative state, which is edited in our textbooks, you know, to make, you know, to gloss over the ugly parts of our history. Um, so, you know, we're getting sort of this whitewashed view of the world. So, 
yes, I think more and more we need to protect freedom of, you know, literature and encourage that, uh, you know, for people to read a variety of different authors and sources and, you know, international authors and so on. And um, yeah, the more we can have both information literacy, but also read regular books, you know, to enhance our cultural understanding, um, our understanding of people who might be different than us. Um, and I think Hollywood and the entertainment industry and all that can do a much better job as well as sort of, you know, sharing perspectives that may not be what we're comfortable with, but that we need to learn more about and to see for sure. And I'm, you know, I still get a hard copy newspaper and I still read a book or two a week. Um, so, you know, obviously, I hope our educational system will focus more on that as well and continue to focus on that starting at really young ages. You know, I mean, I think the minute you're reading to your children and then having them always have a book handy and shutting off those stupid devices that we cannot censor and that have nonsense out there um, would be a good start. But, you know, we've got a ways to go, I think. Right. Um, so how, how have you seen social media affect and like what studies have you looked at affect the public's mental health? over the past how many years? Well, I've mostly looked at it from a, um, a feminist perspective because I have daughters, I have kids. Right. So, you know, certainly from the increase of eating disorders, the increase of suicides, the increase of online bullying, um, you know, all of the airbrushing and over-sexualization um, of both females and young men, quite frankly, if you look at TikTok, it's all shirtless guys with shaggy hair and, yeah. you know, women and, you know, young women in their bikinis that are barely 15 years old, you know, working and their children. Right. Um, and I struggle with that as a parent because my, these are the images my children are seeing and the language that they're, you know, singing along to that they don't even understand what that means or the implications of what that means. It's, tr it's truly troubling. Um, uh, one of a book I, I read recently was called American girls and uh, the author was a vanity fair author whose name is escaping me. Anyway, it's American girls, a secret life of uh, young, young girls and social media. And she tracked 300 young women. Um, I think 13 to 18 uh, for five years on social media. And, you know, the pressures about, you know, pornography and send nudes and, you know, how they should act and how they should look in this and that were really, you know, across race, across ethnicity, across um, socioeconomic backgrounds, the pressures that these young people, our young people are facing for this unrealistic standard, you know, yeah. and then it's also the missing out and you're not invited to this and everyone's lives look so happy and glamorous when that's all, again, that's not real. You know, it's a snapshot. I always say fake book, right? Because people post how amazing their lives and their families and I love you to the moon and back, but you know, they're not showing the uglier side of it, the tantrums and the, you know, <laughs> the bad days. So right. it, it, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a, it's a true problem of, again, us as parents, you know, taking those devices away and enforcing authentic experiences in nature and, you know, get out there and read a book or ride a bike and be with humans and socialize real, you know, in real interaction, even, even like this perhaps, but um, also in person. And that's something that I think we're losing. It's really sort of this social isolation that we're creating because it's, it's, you know, yeah, not real. And the quarantine's definitely not helping that. I mean, it's something that was needed, but yeah. like, it's really, it's, yeah. it's it's, I saw an article today and it's like, you, you, you can't escape the fact that quarantines, like not substantially, the opposite of where we're that, you know, substantial is negatively yeah. affecting people's mental health. And it's like, now, yeah. not only are we not, we're social creatures, we're not getting socialization. 
we're getting it in like the worst possible way. And 100%. I mean, as a mother, I mean, I can't imagine how scary that is to, to, to feel that constantly. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, my youngest daughter, she has ADHD and is a little, she needs that interaction. I mean, she's an extrovert and she's out there and this and that. And she struggled a lot with the quarantine. And the minute she was allowed to go out, I sent her on her bike. She found her friends and was gone. My older daughter's more of an introvert and a little more serious. And she actually thrived in it, which was really interesting. Um, and it actually helped her because she had to do FaceTime and she had to do interaction. She couldn't always just hide behind texting where she, so she actually developed some better communication skills, ironically. Right. Um, she didn't feel the pressure of in person, like raising her hand in class. You know, the teachers kind of forced her to interact in class by calling her out on, on Zoom and, and, and whatnot. So, but overall, definitely, I think the, the rates of depression and for isolation and um, have been, and you know, it's been deeply troubling and we have to figure out a better way to utilize social media, um, you know, for a force, force of change and, and, and looking at influencers who are more authentic, you know, who, who will help our young people, you know, have good self-esteem no matter what they look like or, or, you know, what their personality types are like. And I think that, I think there's a bit of that happening now, um, body positivity, all that kind of stuff. But, as far as being able to communicate with humans, you know, versus being a zombie all day and on your video games all day, you know, yeah. I think is something that we have to keep a close eye on as far as there's, there's no replacement for the, the nuances of face-to-face -face interaction, even if it's face-to-face -face wearing a mask. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, the mask really isn't that much. It's just like a thing that covers human mouths are yeah. disgusting. Anyway. I don't mind we, it. I don't mind it. it. I know. I'm also, used to, I mean, it's fine. I'll, I'm all in. <laughs> they look cool. I'm sorry, but like a cloth mask looks yeah. cool. Like, I don't care what everyone says. They do look cool. Um, they do. It's going to be a new accessory. It's going to be our new accessory, like the sunglasses or like, you know, it should and, and will. I think it's fine. Yeah. I right. Agree. I can't believe we were just spraying each other with our germs for so long anyway. <laughs> it's pretty disgusting. Oh, it's so gross. We're gross. Humans are so yes. gross. We are disgusting. And picture like middle schoolers, gross times a million, like, how, uh, you know, like, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm all for those masks for sure. And the, hey, look, we are a society that of innovators, right? Inventors. Mm -hmm. We are, you know, a rich, affluent, educated nation. We can figure out ways to live differently and safely. We just need to focus our energies on that, you know, versus the political nonsense of it. This is not taking away our freedom. This is going to be giving us, these masks will give us more freedom to, to sort of right. assume some semblance of, you know, life outside of our quarantines for sure. Exactly. And, you know, pe people are worried. I think people are worried about like the, the, um, the legal implications is not wearing a mask, but really it's social. Like people are, I mean, this is what would happen when humans were hunter gatherers. If you weren't doing something that was attributing to the, to the tribe, people would be like, what are you doing? Get out of here. Yes. Like, go, like, we'll talk to you, but then like, you need to stop, you know? I mean, you talked about where the PSA wear condoms. If you don't wear condoms, you're, you might get an STD. So it's like, you, you know, you, we do these things that are really social contracts more than anything. Correct. And if you get ostracized, that yeah. is free speech. You shouldn't, yeah. you, you, you are inhibiting other people's freedoms by potentially getting people sick. So if you really yeah. cared as much about freedom as you pretended to, you would wear the mask, wear the damn mask, as they say. Um, right. I agree. No, it was like, you know, I remember I used to, you know, when I was, you know, working in corporate and this and that, I mean, there were no smoking sections. 
no smoking sections. Everywhere was smoke, everywhere. You couldn't go to a restaurant without, you know, I was on airplanes and you could smoke on airplanes. Like it was absurd. You're just breathing mm. in these toxic fumes. So again, PR lobbied and influenced and, you know, just showed those public health messages about like why we should not be allowed to smoke in airplanes or indoors or whatever it was. And that changed, you know, malls. So, I mean, I do believe it's, you know, that social change will happen where that will then be the taboo of, you know, people, you know what I mean? Versus wearing masks now now being controversial. There's no controversy to staying healthy and being a good neighbor, a good citizen. We're all, you know, the earth, one, one planet too, but you know, look at the environmental, you know, People don't believe in global warming, like, I mean, or climate change. I mean, it's, which actually that's a good example of PR. Scientists stupidly called it global global warming, which it is. That's the science of it. But they weren't thinking of what that message said, you know? And again, Mm -hmm. not my poor family, my poor husband's family, my father-in-law on a cold freezing day. Oh, it's not global warming. It's freezing outside. And people were saying that, like, if it doesn't feel hot, that that means there's no global warming, right? Mm -hmm. So smart PR people change the dialogue and, and instead to call it climate change yeah that's something people can get their brains around a little bit more so again just an interesting example that was actually pr that sort of changed what we're we're calling this you know global warming into climate change that is hopefully helping people understand that there you know there are changes of behaviors we need to do in that space right no that's so, so hopefully true. that'll that's work really... for masks <laughs> right no that's so interesting like because Global warming was a bad PR, just call it that, because it really is climate change. Like, things get, things do get colder with climate change, too. Um, Even maybe, though it was due to the heating up of our Earth, you know what right, I mean? Right. That was yeah, due, yeah. But, people, but again, because people don't read data and science, mm-hmm. that was confusing people, so. Right. And that becomes, a, <laughs> like, a, a, a bad domino effect, where, like, people, like, then spread that around, where they're like, well, why is Correct. it so cold, or Whatever. Correct. What What would you do as a PR professional to encourage people to wear their masks? Well, I, I had got back to the click it or ticket or the condoms, you know, think about other behaviors that we used to do that were unsafe, wearing helmets on your bike, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that we were able to overcome. And I think the more if we're going to use, you know, powerful messages is to show the impact of and there's a really good actually NPR um, that shows like how simple it is to not spread this. You know, I would say I want my kids to go back to school, wear the damn mask, you know, because that's that's what works. So I do think it's going to take time um, and more people sadly dying. You know, it's going to take more people being personally impacted by you know this you know this this public health pandemic that we still don't know so much about you know yeah unfortunately i think that's what it's going to take for people to change the behavior and if we look back on the seat belts or the condoms it took a lot of people dying in car crashes it took a lot of people dying of sexual you know stds for people to change their public behavior and and, and i mean i'm talking you know years years five to ten years you know decade for people to actually change that behavior and have legislation that made it you know the norm versus the taboo hopefully it'll be faster because because hopefully social media can help you know better influence that that it's a badge of honor and a badge of courage to wear a mask not something that's political or taking away freedom again it's giving us more freedom if we we all wear our masks Right, exactly. What, what in your estimation, 
was the point of continuing this idea from like the parasite class. Like, people say elites, I call them parasite class. Uh, it's just more accurate. Um, what, what in your estimation is the reason that people were using the idea of a mask being taking away freedoms? Like what was the point of that? Cause there were people who were pushing forward that narrative that didn't believe that mind you. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. You mean our, our, our world leader that yeah, doesn't wear a mask? Let's just say it, yeah. I mean, sadly we have a leader that is focused on distraction and causing controversy instead of unifying, you know, and I think that's where it started. If the person we're supposed to look to for our leadership of everything in our country and in this world is not abiding to and is directly contradicting the science and the doctors and the very organization, the CDC, that is providing this honest, earnest, you know, you know, recommendation for our public, how can most people not, you know, want to follow the rogue actor if you will and be a rebel if you will yeah, the anti-hero um, but it correct and i think that's the that's the sad statement about you know where we are as a society right now but hopefully that will change excuse me i have a i have my young people coming in to wave goodbye at me so <laughs> working from home. Okay. hi guys bye guys so, um my dumb chihuahua has been working this whole time so i, I was wondering I, what you were laughing at before there i saw you looking over to the side that's funny that's great well you can bring, bring yeah. him in bring him in oh uh, she, she's the she's very cute but she's also like the bane of my existence for a few uh, at least an hour a day i, I i'm like Man. just like my kids <laughs> oh, shit <laughs> they're amazing they're amazing but maybe a little more than an hour of a day no they're great um she's had my young ones heading off on her bike ride yes there she goes amazing yeah I, I always i always appreciated how um important parenthood was to you like even when you were teaching us you would talk about having kids and stuff how, how has quarantine affected your work-life balance because you actually talked about that a lot when i was in your class and how important it is yeah i mean you know, it's interesting. And I mean, talk about masks in general, you know, the minute my younger one who really has a lot of energy and needs to be out with people and this and that, you know, saddle her up with her masks, her helmet, she's off. She wants to go to Dairy Queen. She's got that mask on. She's got her hands. So now she packs her little kit of her hand sanitizer, her wet wipes and her mask. And, you know, if a 12 year old, you know, can abide by that um, and follow those rules, you know, you're not getting your Dairy Queen if you don't wear your mask in the <laughs> for your right. Then I think, you know, why aren't the rest of the, you know, citizens doing that? So, yeah, I mean, there were definitely some embarrassing moments over when I was teaching um, during quarantine where my young one needed help with her schoolwork and I'd have to, you know, dive on the mic and mute it and this and that because I, ah, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was some of those things you see on the newscast with, you know, the guy walking by in the towel as they're doing a live newscast or something. Yeah, that definitely happened to me a few times. Or my cat jumping on the, you know, standing in front of the camera. Um, but it also made me appreciate, you know, a, the career that I have as an educator, you know, that it is very much helping to prepare students for the real world and all the complexities that come with that. So that's jobs, that's finances, that is family, that's juggling, you know, all of the dynamics that make you, you know, a healthy, productive human. Um, I, I've always want, felt that that's a big part of, you know, who I am as an educator and what my job is. And that's why I'm still in touch with students like you and many others that are now 20 years out of college, you know, um, and now working on sort of 
reconciling their work-life balance or their professional choices or their, you know, choices with significant others and families and parents and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's sort of one of the fun parts of what we do is that human, human connection piece of it that, again, we're all in it together and we all are trying, you know, striving, you know, to be decent humans and members of our society. But it's not easy. And that's why I think, you know, people who pretend things are always fabulous, you know, <laughs> I always yeah. tell the embarrassing moments with my kids or my in-laws or whatever this and that because I'm like we're all just humans trying to figure it out together and we're not nobody's perfect and they're full of bananas if they're acting like it <laughs> that's so full circle to what you were saying before like uh, th this um false sense of perfection that we get from mass media and magazines and and tiktok um and it's just like I, yeah. I say this to so many people because I have never forgotten when you said this to our class after you make 80 to a hundred thousand dollars, your quality of life doesn't increase. Like, and scientifically that's true. Like you only have so much serotonin yeah. per day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I always tell that to my friends who are like very like money obsessed and I'm not, I want to live in a van really, or like a tiny house. Um, Airstreams, you... they're cool. <laughs> yeah, they're so dope. But you know, why do you think people are so shocked to hear things like that? You know, I think we have such an entitled society and sadly, you know, we've made the mistake as parents and even with social to sort of protect, over protect our, our family members and over make excuses for their shortcomings, just like we, you know, do with CEOs or our political leaders, um, that we haven't, there's, there's less accountability for our own sort of striving for what we view as good. You know, I've had, and, and I still am perplexed, you know, when I have in-laws or family members like, why do you worry so much about the rest of the world? You got to just worry about yourself. You know, I, I mean, it, that's still something that I hear from people that I feel close to, you know, and it's shocking to me. Um, so, you know, my goal and what I try to do is just, it's okay to be honest. And the more you say like most of the people I'm friends with I joke with a few of my friends like when I've seen their kid having a meltdown or when I they admit that oh they're struggling with their relationship with their significant other I'm like hi my name is Laura Brown I will be your friend because you know what you're not pretending life is perfect awesome you know and I think the more you keep it real and are honest the more other people will open up to you and be real and honest so the money factor as well I mean gosh you know money's not going to give you health. Money's not going to give you happiness. You could get sick tomorrow. Look at COVID, who it's killing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, look at people who get cancer who don't deserve it. You know, I mean, these celebrities who get sick and die, whatever, you know, no money was saving them from that. So, you know, your value system is the only thing in your legacy that you can take with you at the end of the day. And if you feel that, you know, what are people going to say to you when you're, say about you when you're gone, one would hope that you'll really be able to sleep at night with that reconciliation, you know, and, and knowing that, you know, you tried to be a good human and good to the people around you and good to your planet and all that other stuff that uh, certain parts of society see as nonsense. But I'm also a big believer in karma, you know, like how you treat people comes back right. to you. So if you're stepping on people, I remember, I think I've told, I told you this in class, it's never left me as, you know, what's the use of winning the rat race if at the end of the day you're still a rat? Right. That's sort of a saying I read when I was working in the city. Yeah, I was working in the city and it was on the side of a building. You know, what's the use of winning the rat race if at the end of the day you're still around? I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like if everything I do to make my money, you know, um, 
isn't is like bad for people or is is on the backs of like hurting people then what's the point you know so that's yeah. sort of how i look at it and you look at look at some of our richest people they're trying to give away their money you know they're starting foundations or they're <laughs> you know they, they they quit quit being the ceos and now they're on the board of you know trying to solve malaria or mm -hmm. trying to you know cure diseases so clearly their fulfillment didn't come from making all that money Right. You know, if, I mean, there are some that are, and most of them end up in jail, right? So I don't know, but the ones that a lot of, you know, the, the richest people, so much of what they do now with their time isn't about growing their wealth. It is about, you know, Oprah, for example, or whoever, you know, they're trying to, trying to give back and, and that's where they're getting their fulfillment. And that's what makes you feel good. Right. The devil's in the details, really. Yeah. Like, like we said, no. you got to look deeper into things. You know. But I do think, you know, and it's been interesting with everything with the political climate and, you know, all the diversity issues and the Black Lives Matter. It is interesting to see, you know, those of us who want positive change for society not to be afraid to say it because you get so attacked by the other side if you dare, you know, to, to, to speak up. Um, and, you know, I don't want to be angry. I just want things to be good, you know, and that's what's, it's scary for us to be young activists and, and, and be a force for good because there's a very loud um, other side, but the more of us that start speaking up and voting, you know, the more then, you know, we'll be able to live with ourselves and have a better society for sure. And still it's okay to make money. Just don't do it by being a jerk. <laughs> you know? Yes. 100%. Yeah. Uh, just, just a few more things here. Uh, the, the, I used to be in this mindset where like, I never wanted to have a family or anything, but I'm increasingly realizing, um, you know, humans are here to procreate and to what, what do you, and, but like you look at Japan, people are not having families anymore. People are not, um, you know, dating. Uh, what do you, do you think the idea of a family is kind of getting lost and, and why is it important to, to kind of keep that concept in society? I think the human connection is so important, whether or not it's having kids or whether it's not having someone to share your life with, whether that's a romantic partner or a companion or a best friend or whatever that is. I mean, I think if you look at, you know, people who are in isolation, they don't usually live as long as people who are with someone, you know, and there's a big part of that. Again, it's that mental health thing as well. We are creatures that are a social creature right if you look at the animal world right you know which which species stay in groups and and so we do need that i think for our mental and our physical health quite frankly but it's not for everyone um and i don't think it's necessarily having kids is the solution you know because that isn't for everyone it is you know again being active in your community whether that is with animals or whether that is with you know you know other activities so yeah i don't think it necessarily has to be the traditional nuclear family where you get married and have a partner and have 1.5 kids i think it's just making sure you have strong connection family connections and those family connections i don't mean necessarily biological it's the people you choose to have in your life that are enriching to you and support your goals and that you support their goals and their flaws and i think that's sort of the the sort of magic you know potion if you will to to happiness is that not the traditional you know historic view of what family would be yeah that was a you know that's incredibly important for people to hear like i learned a lot from just hearing that um the last thing i want to touch upon this is like a fun thing did you see the jelaine max Ghislaine maxwell photo where she's like at whataburger and like she's reading a book that says <sighs> the secret life of C cia i, I don't oh, know no. if you've seen it but like <laughs> 
as a PR person, it just, um, it stood out to me like, this is such horse crap. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, like, what do you like? Oh man, I wish you saw it so I could be like, what you do you sell your soul to the de- the sell you sell your soul to the devil. You will eventually it will catch up. You know, karma. You have to live with yourself at the end of the day, man. And the choices you make will come back. I truly believe. And again, I'm not a religious person. I'm yeah. not this, but I truly believe it does come back to to bite you. Um, and and certainly, <laughs> you know, we're gonna hear a lot of uh more negative. I think there's a lot more to the story and what's going to be the demise of um, the trade-offs that, you know, right. you, pick, you pick the wrong person to, to, yeah. Right. I'm in this, uh, I'm in the same <laughs> boat. I'm not a religious person, but like karmic energy, like not in the metaphysical 100%. sense, you good to people, you're bad to people. It's, it really is like, you're going to make someone's day better or worse. And it is going to come back at some point in some way. And, and it does, it does. It may not be tomorrow, but it will. I truly believe that. Yeah. And I've seen it enough, you know. Uh, Professor Brown, where can people find you if they want to, if they want to learn more about like you or your work and what's a, what's a book about PR? I want to get people reading. What's a book about PR people can read if they want to start learning. Yeah, I love, okay, so Laura Brown is, Laura is spelled L-O-R-R-A, um, so that's strange, it's Laura Brown PR is my Twitter handle, um, I'm also on LinkedIn under Laura Brown, and I have laurabrown.com or pr109.com um, on my websites, um, as far as books about PR, you know, I, I'm all for what you had said before, as far as looking at, um, looking at reading things outside of our realm of PR, like literature and a variety of books and memoirs and so on. Um, I love the David Meerman Scott books though. They're really more integrated marketing. Um, and he has the new rules of marketing PR, um, a lot of books about social media and business and so on. So it's David Meerman Scott. Anything that he um, has written is really, really, really good. Um, I love the um, J.W. Merritt, The Spirit to Serve. I think his, just from a customer service perspective, and anything um, about that wild and crazy Richard Branson, uh, his, the Virgin, he's, you know, an innovator and sort of the P.T. Barnum of our time, I think. Uh, someone who has the wildest, craziest ideas, but generally speaking, they're for good. Um, if you want someone who's really an aspirational, I think, current PR phenomenon, Richard Branson would be the guy. So that would be my recommendation. And then just follow CEOs and um, young professionals that you respect on, on Twitter and so on. There's a lot of really smart, great people doing some good advocacy work and good um, PR with integrity out there. All right. Amazing. Everyone, this has uh, been Laura Brown and this has been the New Rome Podcast and we will see you uh, whenever I see you, you know? Thanks. I know. 